Hello, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Peter, and uh, let's give everyone else uh, a few more minutes, and uh, I will start in uh, probably around 11.05. Thank you. Okay, this is Peter again. Uh, thanks for those who are joining. Hi, Martin, and uh, good to see you. Uh, let's just give two more minutes, and I'll get started. Thanks. Okay, I'll get started. Uh, good morning, everybody. And uh, the, today is uh, July the 17th, uh, 2022. Today's topic is uh, Justice Gorsuch and uh, Justice Sotomayor, an unholy union against judicial white privilege. I uh, scheduled this uh, episode back in April, soon after uh, U.S. versus uh, Madero 
was published. I was very excited when I heard the decision, not because this is a horrible decision against the Puerto Rican Americans, but because uh, uh, while researching for this book, I ran out of cases by the U.S. Supreme Court where the court clearly, you know, ruled against the racial minorities with no good reason. Uh, the, the, the last case I know of is in 2009 against a Pakistani Muslim. Uh, the name of the case is called Iqbal, I-Q-B-A-L. So year 2009, it's been, you know, 13 years now. So I don't have a good case afterwards. So this uh, U.S. versus Matt Darrow is uh, like godsend, for lack of better expression. Uh, in this case, the uh, United States uh, government believed that anyone who are receiving SSI benefit, which is a disability benefit funded by government, whoever is receiving SSI benefit cannot do so if he or she lives in Puerto Rico for various reasons. Uh, long story short, uh, I watched uh, one episode from uh, Democracy Now!, which uh, this Puerto Rican broadcaster, I'm sorry, I forgot his name, has uh, brought uh, to my attention, not intentionally, that uh, Justice Gorsuch is a surprising, uh, I would not say dissenter, but he, uh, but because Justice Gorsuch uh, concurred. He, uh, Justice Gorsuch brought up a very, very strong argument against the, the majority decision. Uh, he brought up these uh, uh, cases called the insular cases. At that time, I do not know about insular cases at all. I was like, wow, this is tremendous. So I'm pretty excited about the, uh, this particular case and today's episode because uh, in this uh, case, uh, Justice Sotomayor, who him, herself is a Puerto Rican, her parent, uh, whose parents uh, came from Puerto Rico, she dissented strongly. Uh, she's the only dissenter. But uh, her argument is so weak as compared to Justice Gorsuch. Uh, Justice Gorsuch and uh, Justice Sotomayor are probably at the extreme end of the political spectrum. The fact that these two justices brought up these arguments, even though one is concurring, the other one is dissenting, just show how badly this decision is is being determined. Okay, so so that's why I'm pretty excited about today's episode. Although I always want to limit my talking points within the judiciary, the administration of justice, uh, but it does not uh, change the fact that uh, there's a, there are three tiers of judicial uh, of white privileges. That is the legislative white privilege, the executive white privilege, and the judicial white privilege. All three of them interoperate with each other by reinforcing each other to advance the white majoritarian democracy. That is a government of the white majority, by the white majority, and for the white majority. So, so, so today I do want to bring in a little bit about this uh, executive white privilege briefly, because uh, a lot of people has been blaming 
on the left hand side, uh, on the left side of the spectrum, that uh, had uh, Hillary Clinton won the 2016 presidential election, Trump would not be able to appoint Justice Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice uh, Barrett to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, so they blame those who uh, bring those people, famous people like uh, Susan Sarandon and a whole bunch of other leftist act activists for them for their action against uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, and uh, now I disagree with these people because I want to point out the fact that uh, Hillary Clinton himself is one of the biggest uh, beneficiary of white privilege. Specifically, the executive white privilege. So, to to quickly go back to uh, Hillary's uh, campaign, she is the one actually acknowledge the white privilege all by itself. Now, I'm quoting from her transcript in one of her NAACP speech about the white privilege. Okay, I'm going to quote her now. Quote: I have been saying this for a while now. I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's important. We white Americans need to do a better job of listening when African Americans talk about the seen and unseen barriers you face every day. We need to recognize our privilege and practice humility rather than assume that our experiences are everyone's experiences. We all need to try as best we can to walk in one another's shoes to imagine what it will be like to sit our son or daughter down and have to talk about how carefully they need to act around police because the slightest wrong move could get them hurt or even killed, end quote. So Hillary herself, did acknowledge the existence of white privilege. However, she herself is the biggest beneficiary of that. The case in point is this. She, while being the Secretary of State, kept a private server at her residence, which stored top secret government information. That particular action by the definition of a criminal statutes in the federal law, is a crime. In other words, Hillary Clinton committed a statutory crime. And as a, as a matter of fact, she did not do this all by herself. She did it with the help of many others. For one, she has a technical person who administered her email server at her residence. A group of people in her circle, agreed to do this. It's actually a conspiracy to commit a crime. As we all know, the FBI investigated Hillary Clinton. James Comey, the FBI director, even though who has, he has no uh, uh, prosecutorial authority to decide whether to press charges against Hillary Clinton or not, he did went ahead, uh, James Comey, he did the went ahead and announced that the FBI would not press charges against Hillary Clinton. Now, that itself is a white privilege, meaning a white guy, James Comey, not being a prosecutor, 
came out and announced that the FBI will not press charges against Hillary Clinton. James Comey has no statutory authority to do so. The key is this. Had the DOJ decided to press charges against Hillary, again, this is a crime by the book, period. You are not allowed to store top national secret materials in your house, period. Not in your car, not on your bicycle, period. Had the DOJ decided to press charges against Hillary, Joe Biden at that time in 2016, when he's actually four years younger than he is now, he would have entered the presidential race. And by all the polls, Biden is always ahead of Donald J. Trump, by all the polls, okay? Because of the white privilege the left enjoyed, they actually decided to come up with a very weak and lousy candidate for the president. And therefore, Trump is able to beat Hillary Clinton. And uh, as we all know, Hillary Clinton and her husband and Joe Biden has everything to do with this thing called the crack cocaine law. The crack cocaine, the difference between crack cocaine and the powder cocaine and the so-called enhanced sentence for the crack cocaine offenders, right? And also... Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and Joe Biden are all responsible for the 1994 crime bill in America, which is uh, responsible for the mass incarceration of racial minorities. And then you think about what Hunter Biden enjoyed the most, which is uh, crack cocaine and prostitutes. Hunter Biden would have been in jail solely for his crack cocaine offenses. So when it comes to a racial minority, Hillary Clinton is probably the most fraud and the weakest candidate for the president. However, James Comey, without the proper authorization of law, has the boss to came out and say, he found no, uh, there's no reasonable prosecutor will press charges against Hillary Clinton. He has no authority to do that. That is white privilege, meaning the executive branch use unlawful discretion to decide not to prosecute certain crimes or to prosecute or to prosecute certain crimes based on the race, not based on the fact and not based on the law. Therefore, as a matter of fact, the leftist, the leftist, the progressives, the liberals, no matter how you want to call it, they actually suffered from their own white privilege. Had they followed the book, had they you know, followed the rules, Hillary Clinton would not be running for the president in 2016. And Joe Biden likely will have become the president in 2016, when Obama is still in office. And if that happened, I don't think Joe Biden is going to appoint Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh, and uh, Barrett to, be the, to sit on the U.S. Supreme Court. So that I want to do that as a little 
preview or whatever you want to call it about the executive white privilege and what he what he does to do uh, what he does to the judiciary of the government. Okay, so today's episode, I'm going to break it down by introduction, and uh, and then followed by segment one about why Puerto Ricans are still considered second-class Americans. And then followed by section number two, uh, segment number two, no taxation means no representation, meaning that when the government told you that you don't have to pay taxes in America, it's not necessarily a good thing for you, okay? And then segment three, I'm going to talk about Justice Sotomayor. Uh, today's the day I'm going to criti criticize a lot of so-called liberals and progressives and all that. Because guess what? Just being a liberal or just being progressive, it's not an achievement of myself. Just like you say, oh, I'm a black person. Well, being a black person is not an achievement. Being a Chinese is not being is not achievement. It's not a success. Okay, Just being a justice, being a Puerto Rican does not mean Justice Sotomayor is doing her job. So segment three, is talk I'm going to talk about Justice Sotomayor. And then I'm going to conclude uh, today's episode uh, by talking about uh, more about uh, being a justice, being a racial minority sitting on the highest court, what Justice Sotomayor should have done. As a matter of fact, following the example of Justice Gorsuch, which is considered to be an ultra-conservative justice. Okay, so I'll get started with the introduction one. Oh, by the way, I'm going to make both uh, Martin and Sonia to be the speaker. Uh, feel free to, to, to accept. And uh, introduction. So I'm going to... Uh, I have called this, uh, it's an unholy union of Justice Gorsuch and Sotomayor. These two justices are on the two extremes of the political spectrum. In the decision of U.S. versus Madero, Justice Gorsuch, in my opinion, went ballistic. He actually get the points right. He basically saying the decision by the court is wrong but uh, they have no choice because they are following the precedents set by the insular cases. Insular case spells I-N-S-U-L-A-R. Insular cases has multiple cases where it decided, the U.S. Supreme Court decided around 1901-1903 that the U.S. government can do certain things in the U.S. territory, such as the Philippines, the Guam and the Puerto Rico that, you know, despite the fact they are unconstitutional. In other words, that's sometimes called the, does the flag follow the constitution or the constitution follow the flag? I talk about this in the past episode. Okay. Justice Gorsuch is very on point. He did not say this, but I'll say it for him that in those insular cases, the highest court of the land, basically say, yes, the Congress can make laws that are discriminatory against Puerto Ricans. So let me repeat, just what Justice Gorsuch is saying is this, we have to follow the insular cases, 
That is decided in 1901, 1903, a bunch of cases. It's in those cases that your Supreme Court already said the Congress, which is made by white majority, remember, can do whatever they want with the people in the Puerto Ricos. I've said it before. Had the, the Philippines become a state of the United States, the Philippines, then we're going to have a lot of Filipinos to be the representative in the Congress. And they will, they will have to have two Filipino senators. That's not the white majoritarian rulers want to happen. So going back, what's, you know, what Gorsuch is saying is that it is in those cases that the U.S. Supreme Court, I call them white privileges, protected the legislative white privilege. It's very similar to a few of those Chinese ex Exclusion Act cases. There's a number of U.S. Supreme Court cases that are related to the Chinese Exclusion Act, in which the Supreme Court approved the, the Congress, the lawmakers' authority to make such laws. Okay, so I want to, uh, after I said that, uh, in the last episode, someone asked me about uh, my view on Clarence Thomas. Uh, I want to tell you that I have not done enough research on Clarence Thomas because I always do it, want to do it by case by cases. I want to use these justices' own words, their own writing to criticize them. Okay, Justice Sotomayor come to my uh, attention only because she's very loud-mouthed. Meaning that she talks all the time to the to the press, but her work product is horrible. In other words, what she come up with is just not good enough. You know, to be a racial minority in this country called America, you actually have to be double good, if not triple good, to make it. Okay, to be a great justice, Justice Sotomayor is not doing enough. I will give you an example. I she come to my attention in Trump versus Hawaii. In Trump versus Hawaii, Justice uh, Sotomayor compared the Trump order to ban Muslim travelers coming into the United States uh, to the Japanese internment in the during the Second World War. I was very very disappointed with her doing that because. Uh, the internment of a Japanese Americans is entirely different from banning foreign child travelers coming into the United States. Because in Korematsu, in the Japanese internment, the U.S. government is putting up concentration camps for people who are born and raised in this country. There's no proof these people are enemy combatants, right? They are, they are already in this country. It's entirely different. But however, without too much research, Justice uh, Sotomayor would equate the two cases, which is totally inappropriate. Okay? You cannot just say, oh, I'm, I'm a Puerto Rican. I can do whatever I want. No. You actually have to do your work. You have to do your research. You have to say things that make sense. In the U.S. versus Madero, again, Madero is a Puerto Rican-American. In my opinion, this is your opportunity to shine for Justice Sotomayor. But in my opinion, she sucked badly. Her reasoning is so, so uh, weak as compared to what Justice Gorsuch 
but ultra conservative have said, which I'm going to explain in the later segment. So that's why today I'm really single her out to criticize her, not because she's a Puerto Rican, not because she's a woman. It's just because her work product, by comparison, in my opinion, is inferior as compared to what Justice Gorsuch did. So now I'm going to talk about segment one. The title is, Yes, Virginia, there are second-class Americans. They are called Puerto Ricans. In Justice Gorsuch's opinion, he really went ballistic. He did way better than I did. I talk about the, the insular cases in the past episode. I followed uh, one or two books written by, uh, one, one is uh, Stephen Kinzer, I believe. I, I don't remember the exact name. But uh, Justice Gorsuch wrote a very detailed history of the insular cases. And that, ex- that itself explained how, why Puerto Rican was still treated this way, as in this case, in U.S. versus Medora. I'm going to quote Justice Gorsuch. Quote, the flaws in the insular cases are as fundamental as they are shameful. Shameful is the word Justice Gorsuch used. In this country, the, the federal government derives its power directly from the sovereign people. Again, Justice Gorsuch went ballistic. He go back to the founding fathers saying, Puerto Ricans are people. These people are sovereign people. The federal government power derives from these sovereign people, not the other way around. And I'm going to quote more what Justice Gorsuch said. I'm just quickly jump into his conclusion. He said, quote, Preceding on the party's shared premise, the court applies the Constitution and holds that the conduct challenged here does not offend its term, or that may obviate the necessity of overruling the insular cases today. End quote. What Justice Gorsuch is saying is that all the parties, Mr. Madero and the federal government, have not brought up this issue of insular cases. Therefore, the court can only follow what the argument the parties has brought up. Therefore, you know, we cannot overrule the insular cases today, despite the fact those insular cases are shameful, as he said. I'm going to call him more. Quote, because no party seeks access to overrule the insular cases to resolve today's dispute, I join the court's opinion. But the time has come to recognize that the insular cases rest on a rotten foundation. And I hope the day comes soon when the court squarely overrules them. We should follow Justice Holland and settle this question right. Our fellow Americans in Puerto Rico deserve no less. End quote. This is, again, a very strongly worded opinion from an ultra-conservative justice. Okay. Now, without boring, uh, uh, oh, he said more, more things, Justice Gorsuch. Again, I apologize. I'm jumping to the conclusion for the sake of time. He has a, put, a footnote because uh, all the other concurrent justices, the majority, 
in the U.S. versus Maduro has said that uh, if uh, the Supreme Court start to require all the Puerto Ricans to pay same amount of uh, federal taxes for the purpose of uh, getting all equal treatment when it comes to the benefit from the federal government, the majority of the justices believe that will put Puerto Ricans into a bad financial hardship. Okay, so the majority is saying, well, we really care about the financial burden if we tax the Puerto Ricans too much. Therefore, we have to stick with the old decision. We're not going to collect these federal taxes from the Puerto Ricans, and we are not going to give the Puerto Ricans the benefit. In response to that, you see how, how, how thorough Justice Gorsuch is. He said this in a footnote, quote, our government may not deny constitutionally protected individual rights out of parentheses purportedly, closing parentheses, benign neglect any more than it may out of animus. End quote. What Justice Gorsuch is saying, whatever your excuses is of discriminating against Puerto Ricans, you guys say, oh, we are discriminating Puerto Ricans for the benefit of the Puerto Ricans. Or you may say, we are discriminating Puerto Ricans because we really, really hate them. No matter what your angle is, what your perspective is, the Constitution, the law, said you cannot deny these constitutionally protected individual rights, period, regardless of your intention. Who give a F about the Supreme Court intention? What we care about is the Supreme Court follow the Constitution. What Gorsuch is saying here is that the good intention towards a racial minority by a white majoritarian democracy whether it's real or fake, does not make it constitutional. A discrimination is, is a discrimination. Okay, So because Justice Gorsuch wrote so brilliantly, so I really felt that I need to read some of the other things he wrote, which are just tremendous. Because he called, unlike me, I quoted only one or two books about Puerto Ricans. Uh, about Puerto Rico. He, Justice Gorsuch, went through Harvard Law Journal. These are legal writings about the legal status of Puerto Rico and the books and the debate in the Congress about the status of Puerto Rico. Okay, so I'm going to read some of the stuff. These are just fascinating stuff. Section one. The insular cases were the product of what John Hay called a, quote, splendid little war, end quote. Okay, uh, I'm going to read some something. Okay, he said, the aging Spanish empire was in no position to defend its island possessions, and the several fell to American forces in quick secession. Territorial, uh, the con constitution of empire. Territorial expansion, American legal history. This is the name of a book. Okay. 
In page two, Justice Gorsuch wrote, quote, but these acquisitions hard on the heels of the annexation of Hawaii soon ignite a fierce debate. Some argued that our Republican traditions prevented the United States from governing distant possessions as subservient colonies without regard of the Constitution. Others sought to devise new theories by which Congress could permanently rule the country's new acquisition as a European power might, unrestrained by domestic law, end quote. You see here, Justice Gorsuch is very clear, is that does the court approve the Congress to permanently rule the U.S. territories in disregard of the Constitution. And, 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 and this is uh, exactly the point. This I call it legislative white privilege. The Congress back then was made probably purely by white people. And what the, the law they are making is for governing the Puerto Ricans. What about what you know, Justice Gorsuch mentioned the power of the government came from the sovereign people. Did the Puerto Ricans back then consented to the law made by Congress? No, they didn't. They did not. They never. They have not done that. Right? So Justice Gorsuch really went all the way when it comes to these Puerto Rican cases. So that is a segment. Number one. Segment one, number two. No taxation means no representation. The, when, when, uh, during the American Revolution, there's a big slogan you probably all heard about it. It's called the taxation without representation is a tyranny, right? These are the white folks is telling the British crown. You're taxing us, but there's no representation of us. In the British Kingdom, there's a, there were, we're, we we're going to you know revolt. We're going to have a revolution. So, what about the other way around? What if you are a freed slave after the Civil War? Now back then, there's no federal taxation. What if you are a freed slave and the state government, such as Maryland, come to you and say, "Hey"? We are not going to tax you anymore. Good news. Well, you would think that's a good deal? As we know, in this Puerto Rico, uh, in this U.S. versus the Madero, the argument is that the federal government is not taxing the Puerto Ricans the same way they tax everybody within you know, the states of the United States. Therefore, they are not entitled to this uh, benefit. So back then, just imagine yourself, right after the Civil War, you're free slaves. And the state government come, come to you and say, hey, guess what? You're black. We don't collect taxes from the black people. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And uh, so for that, uh, you know, I will, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. You guys can Google this guy's paper, which you know, I find out to be very, very relevant. This guy's name is Christopher Bryant, B-R-Y-A-N-T. 
he had an article in the Michigan Journal of a Race and Law. Again, the, the journal is called the Michigan Journal of a Race and Law. He published this article in 2015. This is a, a title of his work. It's called Without Representation, No Taxation. Free Blacks, Taxes, and Tax Exemption Between the Revolutionary and the Civil War. In that article, he explained it. When the whites back then offered blacks no taxation, there's a meaning for that. Meaning you are not, we're not going to collect poll taxes from you. Therefore, you are not going to be able to vote because you don't pay taxes. We're not going to allow you to, you know, go to township schools because you're not, we're not collecting property taxes from you. There's a reason. It's called a no taxation, means you will not be part of the government. That actually, this no taxation for the free black people is actually the very beginning of a separate but equal. Meaning that, okay, you black people, you're no longer slaves, but we still don't want you to be part of our society, of our government. Therefore, we're going to give you a break, cut your tax break. You don't have to pay taxes. And that's exactly what the majority in this U.S. versus Maduro has said. I'm going to quote the majority's opinion now. Quote, for various historical and policy reasons, including local autonomy, Congress has not required residents of Puerto Rico to pay most federal income, gift, estate, and exercise taxes. Congress has likewise not extended certain federal benefit programs to residents of Puerto Rico. You see, end quote. You see, that's exactly what happened. We're not going to tax you the same way uh, that we tax the residents in the, in the states, within the United States, because we're going to treat you differently. Because guess what? You know why we do that? Because in those insular cases, the Supreme Court justice already said Puerto Ricans are inferior people. Remember that. That's what the insular case said. That's done by a justice. These well-educated, privileged, presumably the smartest people in the whole society have said Puerto Ricans are inferior. They should be subject to Anglo-Saxon, that, again, that's the word used in insular cases. They should be subject to Anglo-Saxon rules, as we wish. So that's the historic and policy reasons. And that's exactly what Justice Gorsuch is saying. The majority in the U.S. Maduro further said this. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to make you a, 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 a speaker soon, okay? And uh, quote, and if this court were to require identical treatment on the benefit side, residents of the states could presumably insist that the federal taxes be imposed on residents of Puerto Rico and other territories in the same way that those taxes are imposed on residents of the states. Doing that, however, would inflict significant new financial burdens on residents of Puerto Rico, 
with a serious implications for the, re, for the Puerto Rican people and the Puerto Rican economy. Okay, I found that to be fascinating. Okay, because the U.S. Supreme Court has just said as a, a woman cannot have abortion rights, right? Does uh, carrying out a pregnancy to full term and raise the baby to the age of 18 cause any financial burden on the mother, on the woman? So had why the, uh, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, very privileged, living in the swamp, you know, they care so much about the financial burdens of the residents of Puerto Rico. You think they really care that much? I doubt it. I truly doubt it. And that is why Justice Gorsuch had put a footnote responding to this, this statement, saying it does not matter whether your intention is good or bad. The very fact you're treating Puerto Ricans as an unequal citizen of the United States, borrowing from the insular cases, is fundamentally wrong. And I quote, shameful, end quote, by Justice Gorsuch. So by now, you have not heard anything from Justice Sotomayor being a Puerto Rican herself, right? So this is where I'm going to go to segment three. Justice Sotomayor, a Puerto Rican, needs a white justice to assert the rights of her race. It's pathetic. Segment three. I'm going to quote what Justice Sotomayor has said. You may not find this to be interesting at all because she went in very much into the technicality of this case, which is totally unjustified because, which I'm going to explain later. I'm going to quote Justice Sotomayor. Quote, because I would hold that this classification does not survive rational basis, I do not consider whether the differential treatment of the citizens who reside in Puerto Rico requires a heightened standard of review as the district court held. In addition, because the government disclaims any reliance on the insular cases, I do not address those cases in my analysis. I do agree, however, with Justice Gorsuch's view that it is past time to acknowledge the gravity of the error of the insular cases. Those cases were premised on belief both obvious and wrong, and I share the concurrences hope that the court will soon recognize that the Constitution's application should never depend on the government's concession or the misguided framework of the insular cases. That's what she said. Here's my problem. It is true the government did not rely on the insular cases. But this case is not about the government. This case is more specifically about the Congress, thus about the legislative white privilege, meaning can a group of white people, a majority of them, great majority of them, white people, have the authority 
without violating the Constitution to make laws about a group of people in a distant place called Puerto Rico. Remember, in the founding fathers, a lot of language, they're saying the British Empire is making laws for America in Britain, in a little island off the Europe, in the ocean, a tiny island. They are making laws governing America. That's what the founding fathers got upset. But that's exactly what happened. In the insular cases, basically the Supreme Court said, yes, it's okay to have Congress to do that. So it has nothing to do whether the executive branch of the government relied on the insular case or not. It's about the fundamental principle. Can the Puerto Ricans be treated differently being the citizens of the United States? Right? And, and also, she, she talked a lot about the so-called rational basis. Rational basis meaning it's the defense by the government saying the Congress has a reasonable rationale to do this. Again, it's going back to the majority's opinion. Well, if we start collecting taxes, federal taxes from Puerto Rico's, all the federal taxes needed from Puerto Rico's, it will impose a harm, financial burdens. Well, that's not the point. The point, the first point is this. Can we make those laws so discriminatory against a population in a remote district called territory of the United States? Because all those wrongful decisions in the past, racially discriminatory decisions in the past, all have a rational basis. The Chinese Exclusion Act, has rational cases. Again, Chinese Exclusion Act is a, it's a, it's a law made by Congress, by probably, you know, majority white Congress. Slavery has a rational basis. You know, a lot of slave, uh, slavery proponents says that slavery has brought the employment opportunity for the blacks people from Africa, right? Holocaust had a rational basis. There's a lot of bad things allegedly done by the Jews. Right? So I have to say that truly Gorsuch in this case went ballistic on this, where Sotomayor did not do enough. Because Justice just Gorsuch is very clear, people are sovereign. They have the sovereign power. The government is a temporary lease of the power from the people. People are sovereign where, wherever they live. And they have to consent to be governed under certain terms and conditions with the people's rights to alter and abolish the government. So as I said before, you know, whenever the American flag flies, I think the flags must follow the Constitution, not the other way around. Right? So not to, you know, mix too much, you know, I brought up this financial burden thing. Imagine this, if a teenage girl of a color in Mississippi today got accidentally pregnant, and now with, or probably without the uh, approval of her parents, she wants to terminate the pregnancy. And the state government prohibited her to do so. 
Can she claim to have been forced into a slavery of another kind? In other words, has the government forced her to raise a baby? You know, if that if if ever there's a case, and this case brought up like this to the U.S. Supreme Court, now we have a new Supreme Court justice, Katanji Brown Jackson. Should this uh, black woman justice on the U.S. Supreme Court rely on the white justice to bring up these historic facts about slavery? Or should this Justice Contenti uh, Brown Jackson research herself or bring up this argument? So I think it's entirely the duty of Justice Sotomayor as a Puerto Rican Republic, uh, uh, justice, Puerto Rican uh, justice. Bring this up. She should have been as forcefully dissent this decision as much as Justice Gorsuch did. Having this unholy union of the two is actually a tragedy because uh, I don't think she's pulling the weight. So with that, I'm going to conclude. U.S. versus Maduro is another one of many cases when the U.S. Supreme Court protected the legislative white privilege, allowing a white majority to make laws at the expense of the racial minority. Okay, you can you can Google uh, this uh, uh, law called the uh, the Mulford Act, M U L F O R D, the Mulford Act. It's a California state law made by the California lawmakers to prevent Black Panthers to have an open carry in the demonstration. Okay, talking about Second Amendment, no Second Amendment for you, Black Panthers. That's how the white privilege operate. You know, I don't know any one of you have ever served on a jury duty. I once served on the jury in a criminal cases. In a jury duty, you are asked by the judge to be diligent, to pay attention, to reasonably discuss the case with your fellow, fellow jurors, right? Just be a good, you know, judgment maker about the guilt or innocence of the defendant. You have a duty to, to, to be a good juror. It's a public service. What about a judge? As a judge, you have a duty as a jurist. Justice Sudamayor, you have a duty to be a good justice for all of us, whether it's a racial minority or not. It takes judicial intellect, right? It takes diligence to do that. Okay, just being a Puerto Rican or being black or being Chinese, does not, it's not achievement. It's not a success. You actually have to be double good and triple good to make it. More importantly, your racial, ethnicity, and cultural roots should be your assets. You should know this. And not only you should think about Puerto Ricans, you should think about other racial minorities as well, how they were treated by the highest court of the land, right? So in my opinion, you know, her decision just sounds very, you know, just an angry uh, a claim of racism. Yeah, there's a racism, but you cannot just, just scream racism. You actually have to write a good dissenting opinion 
to demonstrate all everything I just talked about. It, tell, it takes a whole lot to show, to, to, it takes brains, it takes smarts, it takes knowledge to show, to demonstrate how racism actually works. That's, you know, I'm looking for from, from a justice at the highest court. All right. So, 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 oh, oh, by the way, like I said, this so-called no taxation means no representation. That point is not discussed by Justice Gorsuch nor by Justice Sotomayor. You can go back, if you're African-American, you can go back to, to, to read that article. There's a whole lot more. Like in different states, immediately after the Civil War, passed laws specifically saying the blacks need not to pay taxes. Can you consider that to be a good thing or bad thing? It can only be the beginning of a very, very bad thing to happen to the African-Americans. But none of these justices on the U.S. Supreme Court talk about it. And guess what this case is about? They're saying, okay, Puerto Ricans are not paying taxes, therefore we're not giving them the federal benefit. But the who the hell started having them not paying taxes? So I feel sorry for the Puerto Ricans, not only because they are still the longest colonized people of the United States, but also their judicial representative, specifically Justice Sotomayor, does not appreciate the tremendous colonialistic harm down to her own people. To me, it's okay if you're Irish, American, and you love Ireland. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to be Jewish American to, like, to love Israel or Italian American loving Italy. You know, I'm a Chinese American. I have no qualm with China. This is where my ancestors have lived, and this is where my parents have raised me. Okay? But just as, you know, you should be aware of your, you know, cultural heritage. You should be proud of it. Okay? America is a, a mosaic. I think uh, Mayor Dickinson of New York once said, America is a mosaic. It's not a melting pot. It's a mosaic of all the beautiful cultural things. You know, I, in my opinion, you know, Justice Sotomayor is just too privileged to have that judicial intellect and diligence to do her job. You know, the, the sad part is she does have a mouth, loud mouth. She's like uh, Justice uh, Stephen Breyer. All the, all, you know, in my opinion, those are progressives. They all almost universally have a loud mouth, but very little conduct or achievement to show. So what they offer really is just a noble lie, as uh, uh, this professor Tri uh, Lawrence Tribe said. You cannot keep saying equal justice under law, as engraved on the U.S. Supreme Court buildings. Equal justice under law is a noble lie. Right? And, 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 and just having racial minorities on the highest bench in this country does not mean we have reached racial equality or a multiracial democracy. We are still a white majoritarian democracy. So, you know, uh, I will tell you, I miss uh, two justices. One is uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Anthony Scalia, because these two justices, they are on the opposite end of the political spectrum, 
but they are all both very smart. They both are very, they have a high judicial intellect. They actually go back and forth with, uh, with each other. They have a very deep deliberations on very, very pressing issues. I like those justices because they can make a wrong decision. That's okay. But they go through all the little details that are relevant to make such decision. And in this case, I do believe Justice Gorsuch did a way superior job than Justice Sotomayor. Despite the fact they both believe the insular case cases must be overturned. So, to, you know, last word is that to eradicate judicial white privilege, I uh, to eradicate judicial white privilege, I would rather follow the rules of the game set by the white majority and defeat these judicial inco jurisprudential incoherence demonstrated by their own judicial records because they can never run away these horrible decisions such as U.S. versus Madero, which is a repeat of the insular cases. Okay, so with that said, I'm going to get Andrew here. Uh, let me see how to make Andrew take Andrew's call. I will just make you a speaker. Yeah, Andrew, try to unmute yourself. I did make you a speaker. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, Andrew, I can hear you. Hey, sorry, I took a minute. I'm washing my dog right now, so my hands are all wet. Um, but yeah, I I hadn't heard about this case until I just tuned into your episode today. Um, I, I want to actually, I'm, I'm not very uh, legally literate. I don't follow the courts as much as I should. And I just know a handful of cases, but I wanted your your opinion more generally on Gorsuch. I know he's one of Trump's appointees, and therefore we're supposed to just disagree with his takes. But actually, I, I've been more impressed with his um, rulings with the liberal justices, for instance, for the Yakima tribes or the Crow tribe uh, to uphold their treaties where other justices on the court were arguing that the treaties with indigenous tribes could be nullified or, or decreased in importance because they're old and there's different relationships amongst the tribes and things like this. But Gorsuch was like, no, sorry, this is a contract. This is a, a treaty between sovereign nations. Um, yes, and Andrew, yeah, I'm so glad. Yes, Andrew, you, you brought up such a great point. I think uh, you, you may not have heard this. I did say this in my prior episode. In this uh, book, for the research, I'm re, uh, uh, we, we research things. When it comes to the Indian uh, Native Americans, I can tell you this. I go through a, quite a number of books about the tribes. The one thing I cannot figure out, a consistency of the U.S. Supreme Court decisions when it comes to the rights of the Native Americans. So this make me have thinking is that should the Native tribes considered a foreign nation to the United States? 
Do you hear what I'm saying? In other words, yeah. I still today, I do not, I cannot conclusively read the mind of the U.S. Supreme Court saying, are these tribes a separate foreign nation? Yeah, they the go US? back and forth. I know. Like for I instance, know. they yes, they so. removed mm-hmm. their ability to um, to have police jurisdiction over their own reservations in the seventies, which resulted in incredible amounts of harm. They also went from saying this is your land um, to actually this is federal land that we'll hold <laughs> yeah. in trust for you, the tribes, because we're yes. treating you like your children. You're infantilized. You can't. Control your yes. resources. Here comes the worst, Andrew. I'm told the United States, the federal government, made about four, over 400, uh, 400 treaties with the Native Americans, and each yeah. one was broken. <laughs> so, so yeah. Here, here comes this. Is that kind of similar to what we do today internationally? Remember, yes. I always want to focus <laughs> on my show into the judiciary again because the judiciary is almost everything is internal, right? Domestic, right? The Supreme Court does not judge Vietnam War or Iraq War, right? We all know that, right? But this insular case is fascinating because the insular cases is the first group of cases I find out that U.S. Supreme Court does actually did get involved with the American expansion or imperialistic expansion. The courts approves it. That fascinates me. So you're correct about the native tribes. But uh, like I said, I'm still researching because I want to get a sense of it. I want to get exactly what's the legal status of the Native Americans. Just like what's exactly the legal status of Puerto Ricans, Guams. Yeah. Right. Can I tell you um, maybe one interesting place you, you could read for the for your research on Native Americans and the rulings? I'm from uh, I'm from Seattle, and I've worked with a couple of tribes in Washington State um, who signed a federal treaty in 1855, uh, and then it was ratified in 1859 or 1860. It's called the Treaty of Point Elliot, and um, Basically, there were, well, there's a whole lot of problems with the Treaty of Point Elliot, um, but some, some tribes, well, they all negotiated for a reservation in their home territory. That's very clear from reading the treaty. Um, but instead of doing that, the government did what it did across the whole country, which is to put a reservation far from multiple tribes territory and them to move there. And um, so some, some groups of like within tribes and some, um, some, some basically tribes kind of split over what to do. Some of them stayed in their home territories and were kind of slowly pushed off of their land. And some of them quickly went to the new reservations that were farther away. And in the, in the 20th century, from the 1960s onwards, there were a lot of court cases and rulings by the Bureau of Indian Affairs where some of these groups of the tribes who didn't leave their territory to go to the reservations, um, they later received individual federal acknowledgement that they didn't have. So for years and years, they operated on their own, but they didn't get their fishing and hunting rights upheld 
they didn't have um, their right to visit burial grounds, even if it was on private property, for instance, like some of the tribes on reservations were supposed to have. And then in the 70s, there was a, cake, uh, a court case called the Bolt decision. I think it's called United States versus uh, Washington, like versus the mm-hmm. state of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, this court case has had really huge implications for the the tribes that did not leave to go to the reservations because it said that only the tribes with a, in, in 1979, this is what they said. They said that the, only the tribes with a land base could be considered um, to still be tribes. And so those without the mm-hmm. land base don't get mm-hmm. their fishing and hunting rights and things like that. So anyways, I won't go too much further into it because I'll just kind of end up. No, uh, no, no. Rambling. I want to tell you uh, two, two, two things, Andrew, is that first, uh, as I told you that, I want to have a chapter for Native Americans. And I, I would love to talk to any tribes person, especially a lawyer for those tribes. Like, just yeah. educate me, educate me and the public. Exactly, you know, for all the treaties signed, I violated. Exactly what's yeah. the legal status, right? This is one thing. Second is that I want to go back to Gorsuch. Yeah, uh, I, 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 again, I don't want to just praise or criticize uh, too much of a justice, but you know, I, I don't go after a person. I just go after their work, right? Gorsuch yeah. really impressed me being just uh, follow the words of the law and the follow the words of the treaty you sign, right? Because that, that's the only thing we can go about because it's been like a hundred years since we have that treaty or, or 200 years since we had that constitution. So we have to follow the words, what they mean then, and what should they mean now. So I, you know, I yeah. actually like how he did it because it's only by doing this you are doing a jurisprudential work. You are doing a law like a science, right? You are literally validating word by word what they are saying. Then what does it mean now, and what happened in between, and all that. So, so, so yeah. you know, I. I so I do like uh, Gorsuch so, so far, you know, despite the fact that I know he's with a, a legal majority in the, in the Dobbs versus Jackson case, you know, like yeah. I, I am going to, I told the Biden, I know Biden is on, and uh, I told Biden, I'm going to do at least five episodes on Dobbs versus Jackson. The last one being the constitutional argument that taking the original approach, taking the textualistic approach, the woman does have a right to abortion. It's not yeah. a direct right. It's a collateral right. It's a right coming from some other fundamental rights, which are in the Constitution. It's enumerated and it's already given to male citizen of the country yeah. from the get-go, right? So, so I actually is going to take the same originalistic approach, meaning I always said, I want to beat these white judicial white privileges in their own game by the same rule they follow. I'm saying you are wrong because this you made up these rules. You made yeah. you made up these approaches. I'm showing you you are wrong by using your own approach. So you know yeah. uh, you know this is a great uh, great input you you've given. I, I thank you for yeah, that. Yeah let me let me tell you one more thing and then a question and then I'll hang up because I gotta rinse off my dog here but um, the thing I'll tell you, I'll, I'll direct message you on here. Is this a good place to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you- also, I have my email address. Uh, I'm, uh, as you probably do not know, I'm doing this uh, anonymously because uh, 
you know, I once was under FBI investigation. <laughs> I am no longer, but I still don't want to uh, disclose my identity because uh, talking about white privilege can be a bad thing for my employment prospect. So that's why I, you know, but I have my email sure. uh, address posted on my. That's on fine. My yeah. I was just going to send you um, the contact information for four different tribes in Washington state. Um, two tribes that are un, uh, unacknowledged, meaning, or, or have been unacknowledged in the past. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do five. One, one tribe that still does not have a land base. Mm-hmm. Two tribes that got a land base through fighting in court after the Bolt decision. And two mm-hmm. tribes that had a land base before. And I'll try to direct you to their um, their either their Departments of Historic Preservation or maybe if I can get the contact directly to their legal staff and see if they can talk to you. And the, the other thing I wanted to ask is... Um, damn, I had another question just about like courts and rulings oh, no that was much more. Oh, take your time. Uh, I actually, well, uh, you can go ahead. I won't tell you something else since you mentioned you're from Seattle, right? You're from Seattle. Yeah. Okay. I want to tell you a story. This is actually another thing because we are talking about the Puerto Ricans rights today, right? Yeah. In Seattle, uh, Washington state, there is an organization is called, uh, Amerations Without Border. This mm-hmm. is a little outfit, uh, non-for-profit, run by the Vietnamese Americans. They are yeah. advocating for about 400 people who are currently in Vietnam. These people are called the Amerations because they are the children of American GIs and local yeah. uh, women. Okay, think about this. When one yeah. of your parents is an American citizen, does it make yeah. you American citizen automatically? It does, right? Guess what the U.S. State Department is saying? You have to show who is your father before you can admit it. I said, guess what? Those fathers ran away. They yeah. don't have to bring this up, right? I mean, you know, so these are U.S. citizens, Stopped by the U.S. government in Vietnam. Once again, going back to the insular cases, the Constitution follows the flags or the flags follow the Constitution. Because in this case, while it's a military operation in Vietnam, with the court must follow, the Constitution must follow the flags, the U.S. military. Yeah. So whatever they did overseas is okay. It does not, you know, it does not, you know, the Constitution will not reach to the land of uh, Puerto Rico or, 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 or Vietnam. So, so yeah. that, that you remind me of that. Yeah, that's very interesting. And um, okay, so now I have two questions. First, the quick question is, are you sure that like, I mean, I know that very often border policy is just built in-house and it's not actually derived from a court ruling or, or directly derived from a law passed. It's kind of just what they want to do for their standard operating procedure. But I thought that if your child was born in, inside the U.S., um, regardless of the parent's nationality, it was an American citizen. But That's is it correct. true, like, no, no matter where in the world, it, like, I'm an American citizen, if I have a child in another country, they're they a citizen for sure? They are, yes, they are for sure the citizens of the United States. And guess what? Okay. We're talking about 400 people, right? Already, I seventy-five. Yeah. Uh, I think no, it's forty-five thousand or seventy-five thousand 
similarly situated individuals. These are again, uh, I'm, I'm yeah, I was going to say 400 seems really low. Yeah, they, no, they, they are already here in the U.S. It's just these 400. Oh, oh wow. Okay. This is how bizarre. This is why this group, again, based in Seattle, uh, Washington, they are, they are fighting for this. They had a petition. That, it's not like I'm affiliated with them, but I enjoy their cases because it, this is once again, as long as the U.S. is doing something outside the boundary, it seems to me that the court will not intervene. But then again, it seems to me the court in, in the insular cases have said these are foreign yeah. countries. They are inhabited by, you know, savages, right? Uncivilized, non-Anglo-Saxon people, right? So the U.S. states yeah. have the rights to govern them as we wish, as we see fit, right? Regardless yeah. of the Constitution, right? You know, so no, this yeah. is a... This is a this is a, on the same you know scheme of things. Yeah. So, last question, and then I'll, I'll hang up. Is given that you know, I think you make a good argument about the insular cases and about U.S. versus Vallejo Madero, and also like in the other instances, like for instance, you mentioned that abortion is like, it really is an unenumerated right. And it's also kind of more explicitly offered to male citizens. So under equal protection, it should be offered to women with the Supreme court ruling against these interpretations. You know, you know, I, it seems to me they have very poor and selective logic, especially in the opinion that Clarence Thomas wrote, but what functionally can be done? Like I know that for instance, there's nothing in the Constitution that says the Supreme Court shall have nine justices. Like, yes, there has been a real yes, I, threat I, I, and talk about packing the court. Yes, I hear. But, like, even if, even if like, 10,000 lawyers in the country sign onto a treatise with you and say, like, actually, we feel this has been un- misinterpreted, this is what the Constitution actually says, what would you recommend that, like, in a better world where where there's actual democracy in the U.S.? Yes, there, what there's a way. What would you Congress I, and President I, do? I, I, I don't know what, Andrew, you are the same Andrew that uh, always on the uh, Katie Halper show, because I, I know she's quite depressed for this uh, Dobbs versus Jackson decision. I intend to call in one day to, on her show to explain there's uh, multiple ways to overrule Dobbs versus Jackson. I literally is going to you know, give people ideas, having discussion like this, okay? So I have told the guy uh, who is uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the listener's list right now is that my last uh, episode about Bob's decision uh, is about... Uh, Andrew, could you mute yourself? Because I, I hear some background noise. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to hang up. But my hands are super wet. But thank you very much, Peter. Oh, no problem. So uh, to answer uh, Andrew's question is this. I mentioned to buy it... Uh, maybe a week or two weeks ago, that I want to do at least five episodes just about this Dobbs versus Jackson. Uh, the last one really will be the constitutional argument. Uh, in that episode, I'm going to explain. It's fascinating why people never talk about it uh, and uh, why actually women do have enumerated rights as given to men at the founding, at the writing of the Bill of Rights, that right actually translates into rights to abortion. It's not a direct one. I want to remind everyone, when the old white bench of the U.S. Supreme Court 
decide a slave case, nothing's going to good coming out of it. You have an old white guy deciding a slave case. In the original Roe v. Wade, all nine justices back then are males. So you can imagine Roe v. Wade itself, it may come to, with a right decision, but the reasoning, the approach is wrong. Remember the comparison I did today between Justice Gorsuch and Justice Sotomayor. Justice Gorsuch hit it right because his approach is appropriate, thorough, and you cannot never deviate from what he said. He laid it out nicely. Just Sotomayor's approach, horrible. Okay, so Roe v. Wade itself is decided with a horrible approach because it's decided by our old male bench. So, so give you that, you know. A second I mentioned to others in my uh, other episode. Remember this, at least five, I think, Republican appointed justice ruled in favor of Roe v. Wade. You cannot say this is five Republican appointed justice in 1973, 50 years ago, um, less conservative or less Christian. They are not. I bet they actually have a gut feeling that women probably is allowed to do whatever they, do, they want to do with their body. But the approach is not sensitive to women's issue, to women's biology, simply because they are men. They don't talk to their wives about those things, I'm pretty sure. So, so having said that, the first four episodes I want to do is actually not go to the Constitution. It's just go to the current body of laws, especially the federal laws, that to show that it's hard, it's almost impossible. When the state come out with different abortion bans, it will not be compatible with the federal law. And today I'm going to give out a tease from the next episode. The first one, HIPAA. HIPAA law, H-I-P-A-A. I know Biden knows what HIPAA is. HIPAA is a health privacy law, meaning as a healthcare provider and those who work with a healthcare provider, you are prohibited under criminal penalty and civil penalty to disclose a patient's information to anyone except when it's for law enforcement. This is a federal law, okay? Only you are, if you are violating a federal law, your HIPAA, your health information can be disclosed to the law enforcement. So think about it. How do you determine the age of a fetus? It's called a gestational age. You have to determine that using what? Take a guess. I don't know how many men or women are here. Sonia, do you know? How do you, I'm going to make Sonia a speaker. You know, I think Sonia probably is a female. Do, we, do you know how we determine the age of a fetus? So I'm going to put Josh, uh, take Joshua as a next caller also. Joshua, so do you know how to determine the age of a fetus? 
I don't think that's been decided by any of the courts. That's probably why we're having all of these discussions. There's a lot of different. Okay, you are a guy. Work. That's why you do not know. Okay, that's okay. Uh, I'm actually, no, don't. Hey, actually, don't don't do go that. Okay, don't do okay, that. Go ahead. My yeah, that's. I mean, because I um. Uh, if you had a woman come up in to the speaker column and want to discuss it, then you should have brought them up, but they didn't come up. So anyway, what I wanted to get into is whether or not SCOTUS makes any sense in the future. Um, and you know, I mean, you're doing a teaser for your next shows, and I love all of the detail. But the reality is a white supremacist based organization maybe isn't the structure. Maybe it's the structure itself that is white supremacist in its rulings. So maybe you don't need the same structure going forward. And I would assume that most indigenous populations would come to the same conclusion, but they don't have really the right of self-determination, even though they, their Iroquois Confederacy was the basis for the Constitution, which we're resorting back to, except for we took out all the parts which were good to the populations and or women in for the long term. So, I mean, that's what I really want to have discussed on these shows. Um, and I know that it's really pretty pathetic to have a bunch of white guys talking about Roe v. Wade. So it's always, uh, let's just say a little awkward when that's the thing that we're going into detail on, because when it starts is up to her. When it ends is up to her. We're, we may or may not be there and we can father 365 kids. Or more yes. per year. Yeah. So I know, Joshua. Okay. First of all, my apology. Uh, you're correct. I'm a little bit too harsh on you. I, apo my, I apologize. Okay. Uh, you brought up a great question, uh, which I actually want to ask everyone in the future on this show. Okay. Yes, I'm talking about judiciary. You have just brought up a question whether we actually need a court system at all, right? This will be my question to all the conservative liberals and all that is that. If um, we all decide as a people vote to be to vote for America to be a socialist country, a communist country, a colonial power, or whatever it is, do we still want to have a judicial system? That will be my question to everyone in the future, today and to everyone. I, I know you have, uh, Joshua, you have said you don't think the court even need to be in existence, you know. And uh, I will be asking that. So I see Byte uh, called in earlier. I'm going to make you a speaker, Byte. So while I'm waiting for Byte, I'm going to just uh, quickly go back to how do you determine the age of a fetus? It's by called something called the LMP. Last, I'm not. I'm a man, so I'm not. You know, expert in this. Last menstrual period, right? We all know that, right? So that's how you determine the age of a fetus. That, in, that is the anchor date to determine that age. That age is being used by any future state law, banning abortions. How do you obtain the LMP of a person when it is in the healthcare records? Guarded by the federal law. Tell me how you do that. Because it's a total secret in the federal law. You have to break a federal law to enforce a state crime. What the F is that? Right? So 
to get things worse is this. I actually myself is in healthcare prof- uh, in the healthcare industry. If Mississippi or Texas is offering $10,000 for tips that lead to the prosecution of an abortion, and I happen to have access to all the healthcare records of all these women in these states, I can make a million dollars in a day. Should I do that? Because I'm trying to fight crimes. Abortion is a crime. I'm a, ho- I'm a holier than all of you kind of a guy. Right? Can I do that? Oh, by the way, I like money. The government is dangling money to me. Can I do that? So that is a little teaser for, for, for the, for the next, for the next episode. Uh, if I, I hope I have time because, uh, uh, you probably do not know. I'm going to share a little bit personal detail. I was quite attracted to some of those uh, van life people. So I did convert a van into some kind of an RV because I intend to travel to Alabama and Memphis for the sole purpose of digging some court records related to the Memphis sanitary worker strike and the Rosa Park criminal prosecution. I want to dig out some, dig out some court records. Okay. Because this show is all about judicial records in the, in the a football great. Uh, Bill Parcell has said, you are who you are, what your records said, what you are. So all these racist judge, all the decision they made, a good thing is this, their writing is in the archive. All I need to do is dig them out, analyze them, gather all the historic records surrounding the case, they, they presided it, and prove to the public that these judges are issuing rulings under judicial white privilege, period. And they cannot ever get away from it. So with that, thank you all for listening. I truly appreciate it. And uh, more to come. All right. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.